Hey folks, welcome back to another edition of the IntelliGame Podcast. I'm your host and founder of IntelliGame.us, Josh Boykin, and I'm so glad to have you back for another episode of the show. This week, we're talking directly from PAX West. The Penny Arcade Expo hosted in Seattle, Washington, used to be called PAX Prime, but is still one of the largest consumer-based events where folks can show up and show their passion and love of gaming. It's a four-day convention, goes over Labor Day weekend. It's tiring as all get out. It is an experience unlike anything else I've been to in my career as a game journalist. I've been thinking a lot this week about community. There's something about the ability to interact with other people using video games as a medium that's been really encouraging to me. And so this week's show takes an opportunity to delve deep into aspects of video gaming that help us build community. I think all of us can remember a time that we were able to make a friend or a group of friends over the course of playing a game. A lot of people may have it in sort of the traditional all-American sense. You maybe played team sports in elementary, middle, high school, college. I'm going to guess that a number of the IntelliGame listening audience had a lot of their team-building experiences through video games. I remember one of the earliest games that I used to build community actually was Donkey Kong Country. And that's because I'm thinking of building community in a very small-scale sense. Donkey Kong Country was one of the first games that I played with my sister. When we were growing up and I had a Super Nintendo, I was so, I was so excited to get the Super Nintendo for my birthday. And then I also remembered that I had to share it with my four-year younger little sister. And it was so hard for me to try and figure out what games I wanted to play that would also involve her. I wanted to play things like Final Fantasy, and that was pretty much single player, or Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which was also single player. And of course, part of my wanting to play single player games was probably just being an older brother who was being obnoxious. But there were so many cooperative games that I was able to play on the Super Nintendo with my sister that helped us build this communal... shared set of experiences in ways that we we didn't share with other people our neighborhood wasn't the greatest growing up and so we couldn't play outside a lot after dark and we didn't spend a lot of time on the weekends hanging out with friends video games were an opportunity for us to explore new worlds together and to have a really good time we played donkey kong country we played mighty Morphin power rangers the movie which was cooperative We played Kakoma Night and Busyland, which I really hated and probably still do. It was just this opportunity for my sister and I to bond, even though we didn't necessarily have all the other things to bond over. We were in different grades and had different lives. Later on, I feel like I was able to bond a lot through the community of gaming, particularly in high school with competitive games like Super Smash Bros. and Soul Calibur 2. I can remember being over at my friend Joe's place and playing with like Chris and Ryan and all these other people who we we would just seriously, we would pound on each other in these competitive games. And yet it was this opportunity for us to kind of establish this community as adolescent males and interact with each other in a way that that brought us closer together. And a number of those people are still friends of mine to this day. And 
honestly, I still play video games to this day with many of those same people, even though now we live time zones apart. This episode of the Intelligame Podcast is going to give us an opportunity to delve into community. I'm really excited to share an interview with you with my friend Dylan Higgins. He works at Ground Control, an arcade based out here in Portland, Oregon, and is really familiar with the Killer Queen scene, which is a five-on-five arcade game that I can't get enough of. What's really fascinated me out here in Portland, more so than the game, is the group of friends that has developed around playing this game on a really regular basis. Dylan's going to take some time to tell you about Killer Queen, why he enjoys it, and about the community. And of course, he'll make an IntelliGame recommendation for you. Don't worry, I'll give you an IntelliGame recommendation of my own. And of course, we wouldn't be able to walk away from an episode of the podcast without doing our essay director's cut. So get excited. We've got another brand new episode of the IntelliGame podcast coming right to you from PAX West. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the on-site interview section of the IntelliGame podcast. We're here at PAX West, and I'm interviewing a friend of mine who also happens to be pretty involved in the Killer Queen and Ground Control community at here in Portland. I know I've talked about it a couple of times, but Dylan Higgins, thanks for joining me. Josh, good to see you. How you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, it's been a good show so far, yeah. and it's been interesting, especially coming from Portland, going up to Seattle been interesting to see just how many people end up here anyway right it's a i mean it's a big show one of the biggest shows that yeah. we have in the country so yeah we're uh, doing arcade stuff here so we see a lot of people who like see regulars they're like oh we know you from the arcade you're, yeah you're up here too sure just for uh, let's start for the listeners and give them kind of a background as to have you always been in the pacific northwest how'd you get started with ground was, control what do you do yeah i was born in walla walla washington which is a real place and then i grew up in the dalles oregon which is an hour east of portland so i'm actually from oregon and then went to school on the east coast and whatnot but i've lived back in portland for the last couple of years and i'm from the area for sure i work part-time at the arcade at ground control and i got the job the same way most people get jobs there is by being a regular and knowing people long enough right a friend of mine that I went to high school with works there, and they needed somebody and asked me, and I work part-time on uh, pinball machines, mostly. Yeah. Uh, clean them up. Uh, yeah. It's a fun place to work. It's uh, Coming from Rockford, we had a, an arcade called Nickel World, which is a lot of kind of second-run machines, but, mm-hmm. you know, they all have nickels in them or whatever. And it was really interesting to go to when you're younger, mm-hmm. because, oh, you know, a place to play video games, and for parents, it's probably a place where I can leave my child, you know, yeah. my children. Ground Control has a different atmosphere because it's primarily marketed towards adults. Mm-hmm. It's got a bar. It's got a restaurant section. Yeah. The owners, there's four owners, and they're all local guys with families, and they're all nerds, and they all grew up loving these games. It's a passion project. It also didn't make a lot of money for a long time. But like it's, it's very successful now. It's a good uh, tourist destination. It, it is all ages during the day, and so they're kind of committed to doing that because they don't have to. They could like just be a bar, but... They want it to have, they want families, they want to be able to bring their own families and like kids to come see Pac-Man. Again, like right. it's, a, it's a bit of a passion project to be like, we remember Tron and we remember Tempest and we want to share that because they're not the most popular games. They could have Big Buck Hunter, you know, and right. like they, and it's, I'm not talking bad about Big Buck Hunter, it's just not the kind of arcade they want. Sure. So it's, it's a retro arcade is what it's called and they, they like that. And then after five, they kick all the kids out and it's a, it's a bar. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, it's fun to have it be in both, though, to tell people. You can bring your kid during the day, you know. For sure. But you can also come get a beer in the evening, and on the weekend, it's kind of a party. Sure. Yeah. Now, up here at PAX West, you've got an on-site retro arcade. Yeah. We loaded up the truck with a lot of our... uh, There's a lot of games that don't fit in the ground control. We have a lot in storage, and again, a lot of them are owned by the owners that are just... They, if they see a Tron at a good price, you know, they buy it. So they have, like, you know, or just cool, rare games. So there's a lot that just doesn't fit. And so packed up the truck. We're doing it every year. Bring up a, an arcade here. Oh, it was really interesting. I've now seen my fair share of arcades and seen some of the cabinets that are here that don't fit in, you know, conventional ground control has been really cool. Like Baby Pack, as Baby Pac-Man? Yeah, there's a Baby Pack, yeah. And that's a, a hybrid like video pac-man and pinball machine yeah it's uh there's some unique weird ones for sure and you know collectors especially like the owners like to scoop those up a lot of those are unique and you're like and to be honest like baby pack's really fun and neat it's not a good game there's a reason it's rare like it's not a great arcade game but it's unique enough that we bring it out once a year for a giant pinball tournament you know like it's fun to see once a year you're like oh yeah baby pack but like if we're out all the time it's not good yeah yeah a lot of those unique games it's fun to to get all those out for sure do you have i mean obviously aside from where the interview is going what other arcade games are you a big fan of i've gotten really into pinball which you call it an arcade game or not but um pinball itself i was always like i like video games and most people don't like pinball like it's kind of a niche thing but there's a learning curve to it, and once you start to get pinball and realize what's really going on, because I used to play, like, most people, you go up and you hit the flippers and try and keep the ball alive. Right. Once Which you realize, yeah, it's most people, but if you spend, like, an hour on it and somebody teaches you, like, no, you got to go for this shot, and then once you do that, you can do this, and no bumping the tables and cheating, it's part of the strategy, and, like, you start to learn it, I got hooked. Part of it's from working on them and also from, you know, learning at ground control. Pinball is really fun. You can't outsmart it. Like, if I, I learned the trick to Street Fighter to how to always beat the computer this way, like, you know, whatever. But, like, I can't outsmart this piece of metal, like, this machine, right. you know. It's incredibly hard and unforgiving, which is kind of brutal and, you know, masochistic. But it's, <laughs> it's fun, and they're all different, but they're all similar. So, like, I can walk up to a table that I've never played before, and it's new, and it's a new experience, but I know enough about pinball to kind of figure it out. But you're also like, oh, I've never seen that, you know. Right. Pinball is a whole world, and Portland has its own really cool community. They have, like, weekly get-togethers, and it's, you know, pinball's fun. I recommend uh, most gamers are trying to get them into it. And, again, there's a learning curve, and at first you're like, ah, that's not fun, and it's also so hard that it turns people off. But for everybody, it kind of clicks, and once it clicks, you're like, oh, yeah, like, I get this. And that was me. I didn't care until about a year or two ago, and now I I love pinball. I've always had a, a passion for pinball, I think, because it has that, physical element to mm-hmm. it right where there are you know there have been virtual pinball games yeah. forever uh, and usually i would i would say usually because i will admit i absolutely adore pinball fx mm-hmm. it's just i i think i've seen some really fantastic tables where it still feels like pinball but they're doing things that you would never be able to do sure. on, a, on a physical pinball table yeah but the actual interaction of bumping a table seeing the lights hearing the reaction winning uh, i've never beaten table right but still those those things that when they exist in physical space yeah there's there's purists that have strong opinions about virtual pinball i'm not one of them i just think they're different mm-hmm. you don't have to choose one or the other like virtual pinball is neat it's not pinball but it's it's cool right yeah but i agree the actual physical of it of like i can't be like oh the game glitched or like oh like i got lucky like it's a physical ball right. and physically it's going to hit 
metal parts and plastic parts and go where it goes and you just gotta it's weird and working on them is fun part of why i took the job the part-time job was i get to learn mechanical stuff i get to learn electrical stuff there's a lot going on in there like there's computer stuff there's a lot of things in a pinball table so that's cool uh yeah not not quite an arcade game i suppose it is but that that whole world kind of only in the last couple of years. A long-time gamer. Never really played pinball in the last couple of years. Now I'm a pinball nut. Sure. Like, it's, it's a lot of fun. Now, you and I met at Ground Control, and, mm-hmm. but not playing pinball. Though, right. though I feel like we're going to play more pinball sure. now. We met playing Killer Queen, mm-hmm. right? Listening audience may have known, uh, may have seen me on Twitch a couple of times, or heard me on Twitch a couple of times, uh, shoutcasting Killer Queen matches, which is a really awesome game, mm-hmm. but has been really fascinating to me not just from the gameplay perspective i mean just it's a five on five it's essentially an in-person moba which is kind of cool but the people that have kind of congregated around this game yeah you know have you always been part of the killer queen community i was at the first tournament so i suppose that would be a yes and then i started running tournaments after the the third tournament so i was there from the start of it yeah and and i've kind of watched that happen Tell me a bit about how it's it's evolved over time. So we got the game in fall of 2014, and and it was a weird, unique game for sure. You've explained the game before, but it's it's a unique, it's an indie game made by indie developers Josh Devonis and Nikita Mikros uh, out of New York. And now, when we got it, there were probably four or five of them. They're now 15, 20-ish. Okay. But, so it's still pretty rare. Right. Uh, there's going to be more. They keep coming out. It's It's going up. When we got it at Ground Control, everybody had, oh, have you seen this weird game? Like, if people have tried it, you hear, like, oh, yeah, it's, it's unique. You gotta, it's hard to describe. You gotta play it. And then the, the arcade decided to throw the first tournament in January of 2015. So a year and a half ago-ish. We had, like, nine teams show up, and nobody knew what they were doing. And, of course, over time, people have really learned the game and learned strategies and whatnot. But, yeah, it was a hit, and we immediately started having them every month. And then a year or so ago, we started doing a second tournament every month, a more casual one. And it just, I always love to ask people how they showed up to it, because are you so-and-so's friend? Or like, oh, so-and-so invited you? Or like, you know so-and-so from somewhere? Or did you just like walk in? Because at first it was like different groups played, and then they started to get to know each other from playing, and then it becomes like one giant thing. And now there's like a Facebook group with like 350 members, Mm -hmm. which is a bunch from to be, you know, just from the Portland Arcade. Shout um, out to Mercury Squad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all the all the locations, the popular scenes around the country have their own Facebook groups, and then people join each other's to, like, talk. But, so, yeah, our Portland one has 350 people, and the majority of them would be from Portland. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where I know personally for me and for a lot of people, it's kind of become your friend base. Right. Or, like, I showed up knowing my couple friends that, like, we tried it, and then they didn't even stick with it. Like, co-workers at Ground Patrol. Like, not many people that work there play it. But I started, I got hooked. And now I made a whole bunch of friends playing it. And now it's, like, the friends you hang out with, like, away from the arcade. Like, it used to be like, oh, I'll see you, like, on Friday when we're going to go play. And now it's more like, what are you doing this weekend? Like, (laughs) what other games do you play? You know, who's having, like, a party who wants to go to the beach? Like, that kind of thing. Um, And I've seen that get really tight, especially in the last year and a half. And... Some people that used to play don't play as much anymore, and then like you have newer people too that are weaving in and out. But it's it's weird because it's a friend base of I'd say like thirty people. Sure. So it's hard to be like, oh yeah, my friends will be there. Like, oh, well, I'm my friends, but it's like it's thirty people. Like, it's a lot, <laughs> and they won't always all make it, you know. But 
It's a large friend group that are technically bonding over one video game, but right. there's a lot else to it. And I don't know if it has to do with just like Portland social scene being kind of young, and there's a lot of different types, but it's become very, very, it's become a very big part of a lot of people's lives, mine included. You know, you know on one hand, it's awesome to see a community revolt to build around a game. Uh-huh. On the other hand, the nature of the game is inherently competitive. Yeah. Right? How does that have that effect then where, you know, you're seeing this sort of interaction with your friends, but also your rivals, but also your friends? You get some bad attitudes that have weeded themselves out over time. Nobody's ever really been kicked out community-wise. It doesn't really work that way. None of it's official. But the bad attitudes weed themselves out. And early on, one of the issues, like with most competitive gaming scenes, is competitiveness. This guy wants to practice three times a week and be the best team and doesn't want people who are bad on his team and, like, wants to win. Whereas, like, this person wants to, like, get drunk and have fun and play some games. And both of those are totally fine approaches. I mean, some people want to cheer when they win and some people's feelings get hurt when they lose, you know? And it was issues we had that we had to remind ourselves are not unique to Killer Queen. Right. It's just you have that in every uh, competitive gaming scene, you know? And... That was why uh, we started the second tournament. So, so we have, every month we have what we call competitive clash. It's the official tournament, and they have prizes, and you bring your team, and the best team, you know, you win, and you get prizes. We started doing, partly because of this attitude, where some people were driving other people away because they were too competitive. And you don't want to tell people not to be competitive, and you try and tell them to play nice, and you can't really babysit adults, especially at a bar. Right. But... Our scene got a lot better, and we started the second tournaments, and we called them monthly mixers. And the mixer to party is come meet new people. Don't just show up with your like five friends and only play uh, with them. We randomize the teams, and we've tried a few different ways to do that. But basically, the point is when you show up, you don't know who you're going to play with, whether it's colors out of a hat or whatever. Like You become a, a member of a new team. You'll play with people you've never played before. And... You don't tell people not to compete, but we're kind of like, it's not as big a deal of a tournament. There's no prizes, you know, it's just, there will be a winner, we're going to keep track, we're going to do a tournament. But I like it because if you win, like, winning still feels great, and you get to say, I won the mixer. Right. If you lose, you're like, I was on a random team, I've never right. played with them anyway. Like, so, like, nobody will remember a month from now what team you're on. There's no ride on the line, really. Right. Losing still stinks, but it's a really fun event, and a lot of people enjoy it just as much as our, our regular tournament. And we started that as an experiment last summer, and it just stuck. And now we're like, oh, I guess we're doing two tournaments a month now, because these are really fun, you know? And I've I've been in on a couple of the competitive tournaments Uh and felt that that tension where it's like it, it still has been a very welcoming place where yeah. people have you know been willing to like bring me on the team and help sure. me learn but at the same time when you see you know particularly a couple of the what we'll call more pro teams mm-hmm. you know people who are prepping for nationals there's some you know there's some blood in the water sometimes yeah i think i don't i don't i think we've been together long enough and we're a tight enough family but there aren't that many openly bad attitudes towards each other at all. People still want to win, and they get frustrated when they lose, but there aren't there aren't any real rivalries. Like, we've joked about this. Like, no, there's no actual rivalries. In this game. <laughs> there's people you want to beat, but, like, when I get beat by the best players, like, I want to learn from it, and it's right. not. And we have some players that love to talk trash, but it's, like, become kind of a joke because we get really outrageous with it, and, like, in the same way when you're 
really close with somebody, you can be viciously mean because you know you're like joking, and you're like, I can say the meanest thing in the world to my best friend because like they're my best friend and they get that I'm being funny, right? Uh, and so we get mean, and it's because <laughs> we all love each other because it's all. I think we've gotten to a point where we can. The problem is outsiders or people that aren't regulars or people just at the bar, right? Like, man, they're like mean to each other, and like they're mean when they win and they're mean when they lose, and you just keep <laughs> going to be like. Oh, no, we all love each other. We're joking. Like, I know it seems that way, but, like, when he yelled, oh, you're garbage at that other guy, right. like, he's, he's, he loves him. He like, you know. He calls him garbage from a place of love. Yeah, he's talking trash, you know. And if I beat a player that I know is way better than me, and we both know that player is way better than me, I can still call him garbage, like, ironically. So I think uh, I think I was playing Tetris the other day with one of the guys, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure the phrase, get bodied, yeah. came up. Yeah. Yeah. They, there's a lot of trash talking, but I really don't feel like there's any mean-spirited things going on, um, especially because we've been playing with the same people for so long. And we try really hard to get new players in. You've come in as a new player, and it's right. great. And we've driven people away in the past accidentally, you know, and you're just trying to, like, learn from that and try to, like, welcome new players. Like, don't talk trash to them first. Like, get to know them first. Like, like let them understand. And it can be tough because it's a it's a game that people have been playing for two years now and have gotten really good and so you're trying to catch people up um, now of course this kind of naturally ties into this transition into nationals right yes the killer queen scene doesn't just exist in portland like you said there have been a number of machines mm-hmm. that i guess have existed in other communities for a while too yeah. chicago charlotte yeah san francisco san francisco has one the the biggest three are portland chicago new york who got it the earliest slash played the hardest um and those are like the big three and continue to be the big three they're the highest competitors but the other scenes are definitely catching up charlotte's only had their cabinet a few months i think like so they're a baby scene and they're fun and like they've started to come to tournaments and you start having traveling squads and the first big one of that was last summer 2015 a team from chicago went to new york and won and then came to portland and won they kind of put themselves on the map and were like, hey, we're the one. And we loved them. And that was so fun when they came and we partied all weekend and, like, had a tournament. It was great. And wanted to beat them. But even, like, with other scenes, so when they come and beat you, like, there's trash talking and they want to win. But then afterwards, we're all going to do shots together. Like, <laughs> it, it was a really fun time. And that kind of started off the, oh, yeah, we can travel to play this game. That's how much we love it and love each other. Even, like, you knew them through Facebook, you knew them through chat, and be like, oh, we're going to meet these internet friends that I've literally never played this game with because they're over there. Right. But we love it. So they threw in October, in, last October, in Chicago, they threw their 10th tournament, and it was called KQX, and the creators, Josh and Nick, went there, and there were 20-something teams, um, and they called it a national tournament, kind of, basically, and New York sent teams and Portland sent like 13 of us went we bought plane tickets and went to chicago for the weekend and portland won that and there was a lot of putting ourselves back on the map going to chicago and winning congratulations you know, not my team uh, my team <laughs> finished like seventh or something did well, well congrats um, to portland yeah but our one of our teams won the whole thing and that was big putting us on the map and they were like playing against each other and you know the chicago people are rooting for chicago and portland's rooting for portland and new york's rooting for somebody um uh, they did well too I watched our team win and then get cheered. But their queen, Neil, from our team, got put up on people's shoulders and, like, pushed around like it was crowd surfing. And I watched, I took video and photos of it. Like, Chicago people cheering for him. Like, you just beat us and we're so pumped. Like, it's such a community game, you know, even, like, between other cities. So 
That happened in this last March in Portland. We rented a 15-passenger van and went down to San Francisco for a weekend and played a tournament. Yeah. But it started to be like, oh, we can travel to do this. And not only is it fun to go compete with other scenes who maybe they play the game differently than we did because they're their own microcosms. Right. But also you meet friends and that's the kind of thing where like we play this game and we've talked over Facebook. You're instantly like friends with them because of this game. So yeah, in Austin in November 2016, uh, they're having the first official national tournament, which just means the creators, Josh and Nick, are hosting it. Okay. We've had other national tournaments, and they're like, how do you define it? And they're like, well, we're the creators, and we're calling this the first one. So you know, I guess okay. they get to, they get to make it. that call. Yeah, and it's all semantics about, is this an official national? It doesn't matter. KQX was the first real big one. They had a KQ15 was a few months ago. Some New York and some Portland people went. But this is the big one. Hopefully everyone from all the scenes is going to go, and a lot of people are sending teams, and Portland's getting ready, and they, I mean, we're beating up on each other competitive-wise and practicing, and it's good, and sharing all our secrets and tips to, right. Portland just wants, you know, somebody from Portland to win. Yeah, and we're trying to do, like, fundraisers to send everybody, and, and we also know it's just going to be, like, a party. You know, sure. it's going to be, we're going to be competitive at this tournament, but also can't wait to see our Chicago friends, can't wait to see our New York friends. Like, everybody's going to go to Texas, which is a neutral site, which is also <laughs> interesting, but, but fun. There's no, uh, there's no cab in Austin. They just got their cab. So they're going to have a baby scene there, too. They're going to have people that have been playing for a few months, which is great and can't wait to have them, but it'll be a tough tournament for them. Tell me, uh, I guess, a little bit about what is it like existing in this this scene that is a microcosm but interacts with these other microcosms, mm-hmm. too, right? I mean, like, there's communication between Portland and Charlotte. Yeah. and There's online chats. There's a lot of Facebooking, Facebook groups, a lot of memes, uh, a lot of... Talking trash, a lot of drama, that can get lost in the communication online a lot easier, where people go, man, Portland's mean, you know, and you're like, you know, or like, man, Chicago's really full of drama or whatever, all these things, and it's like, well, you weren't there, and you don't understand the nuance, and also, like, it's through text, and maybe they didn't get that you were joking, and like, that's all really minor. It's a lot of fun, it's a lot of, everybody loves each other, and again, it's the kind of thing where, if I go to Chicago next month, I have 15 people offering me a place to stay. Right. I feel like I have a family there. I have immediate friends that maybe I've hardly ever hung out with in person or haven't. You're just like, it's such an instant community thing. It's, it's really cool. It's been a really intriguing thing. I think watching Pokemon Go in particular, mm-hmm. which by the way, it was really interesting. Hashtag rely on instinct. But yeah, it's been really interesting. Like I walked in and that was the first place in Portland in general that I saw just a swarm of instinct players. Uh-huh. And I'm going to assume it's because it was all, you know, the Killer Queen folks who it's, started playing at the same time yep. and all decided... This game comes out and we're like, all right, what team are we going to be? We're like, oh, the bee-colored one. <laughs> you know, like, is it? That was so it. many bee puns. Yeah, exactly. No, but yeah, it's the kind of thing where we see people walk up and try the game and you're like, they're like, this is fun. We're like, we know it's fun. Right. Join our Facebook group. Hang out. We're here every Monday. We're here this and that. Please don't leave. Like, <laughs> like, don't we? Like, people. I mean, it's definitely a commitment, and you become regulars and people that play every week. It's a lot, you know. Right. But you're also like, if you hang out, you know, like all of a sudden you're invited to like house parties, and all of a sudden like we're doing. Who wants to get dinner? Right. Like, it's not just this. It's a community in every sense of the word, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, closing up, we've got our our tradition, our now two episode tradition. Sure. Right. 
to ask about your IntelliGame, a game that you mm-hmm. find really influential, really important, something that means something to you or may something may mean something to people at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be your IntelliGame and why? I was thinking about this. To me, I mean, I tried to think, like, my, my favorite video game, which is hard anyway. Like, it might be Final Fantasy VI, but, like, that's not that influential. It's just an awesome game. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> the one for me... Probably was. Have you heard of Ultima Online? Yeah, absolutely. I played a lot of Ultima Online. I was like twelve when it came out. Sure. And I don't think it's surviving in any iteration today. But it was an early MMO. It was around when EverQuest was around, and EverQuest was the popular one. But Ultima Online was right then as well. The early, early big MMOs and. World of Warcraft perfected the format, but that was like seven years later. Right. But I played a lot of UO from being a 12-year-old and making internet friends. That was the first time when you're like, oh, in like the days of ICQ, and just being like, oh, I have a friend in Georgia, and I have a friend in New York, you know, and like, and even when you're 12, and that's weird, and especially then in the early internet age, your parents are like, who are you talking to? Right. Um, how friends, much is this costing me? Because right. you're calling long distance? Yeah. Friends I still know today. Friends, a couple that I've, like, I've never met, but I start thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, God, it's been... 17 years it's been more than half my life of like i remember the story of where i was in this dungeon when i met this mage you know and now i'm like oh that's my friend parker right like i've known for that long um and i love that game and i can ramble a lot about like why that game was awesome and why world of warcraft never quite clicked for me and like why this was the you know this and that because it wasn't super popular but it was awesome enough that i still play on like private servers sometimes which is something that happens with a lot of those old games that Evolved into a way that the original fans didn't like. I know they were doing that for World of Warcraft for a bit. Um, right. But, yeah, I as recently as, you know, a couple of years ago was playing Ultima Online again. You know, like, 1998 graphics. And this <laughs> great. But, yeah, I think that was the first, like, not only have I played it on and off my whole life, but, like, the first time, like, making internet friends, you know, yep. that are, like, gaming friends to start. And you're like, no, these are, these are friends, you know, that it's... you know your whole life, even if you've never actually met. Not as rare now. That right. seemed a little more accepted, but I'm like, yeah, it's been a while I've been doing that. But even so, I mean, Killer Queen is kind of an unconventional way mm-hmm. to make friends through video games. Oh, yeah. So, I yeah. mean, because you have to play in person, and yeah. you have to to physically see the people and, who you're competing with. And to Josh and Nick's credit, everyone's like, this would be, like, an awesome Xbox Live game. Right. And they, from I've the start, it. have been like, no, we want an arcade feel. We like arcade games. We want it to be social like that. Because I could put on my headset and, you know, play on my Xbox thing at home, and it would be fun. Mm-hmm. It would be fun. But, like, I, they want you to go stand elbow to elbow with a teammate and see the other team on the other side and play them. And it makes it part of the many reasons it's very unique. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dylan, thanks for being on the show. Really yeah. appreciate the conversation. Thanks for having me. Glad okay. to join. Yeah, we'd love to have you back on sometime. Sure. So. This week's director's cut comes from a piece that I wrote directly about PAX West. It occurred to me in the days after I returned from Seattle how much PAX was significant, not just from the games that I played, but also the people who were at the show. It's hard to not be impressed upon by tens of thousands of people in one place. So let's get started with a piece that I published on September 8th called The People of PAX West Make the Games Even Better. Being around so many enthusiastic fans at once amplified the energy of great games. Which is good, because being a game journalist is tough work in 2016. There's a veritable flood of games out there, 
and so many of them deserve hours and hours of playtime. The indie space in particular is expanding and experimenting with new control schemes, gameplay genres, and interfaces. AAA titles are branching out in their own ways too, adding diverse faces to their rosters, and creating massive projects which could take hundreds of hours to explore completely. Hardware manufacturers are fighting even harder for gaming dollars, creating everything from custom desktop PCs and skin controllers to specialized keyboards, mice, and headsets. Trying to take it all in at once is enough to make the mind melt just a bit. PAX West creates that sort of mind-melting experience. It's a four-day convention in Seattle, Washington, where tens of thousands of gamers gather to immerse themselves in gaming culture. I felt nervous the days and weeks before PAX, honestly. Though I've been a journalist for years, I've never been to a convention quite as large as PAX. I tend to think of large groups as negative. I hate waiting in lines, the social anxiety, the potential to catch a cold or other bug from a stranger. And as a note, uh, con crud or con flu, uh, it's, it is real. If you're going to go to conventions, take B12, take vitamin C, bring hand sanitizer. I've, I've even heard recommendations of people doing fist bumps or elbow bumps instead of handshakes to prevent germ transmission. Take care of yourself. Now that I've got my first packs under my belt, though, I'm excited about the next one for exactly the same reason I was intimidated in the first place. It's easy to get a bit jaded when coming at conventions from a professional angle. At shows like E3, you're often seeing the same people, playing the same games, watching the hype build over a few key reveals while the rest of the games fight for their moments in the sun. At PAX, the spectacle level gets turned up to 11. Giveaways, contests, and loud displays are practically every turn. Still, so many games and developers show up on the floor that it draws a gigantic crowd of fans, many of which are just happy to be around so many games at one time. I do think this is something that I forget as a journalist, and I can't help but imagine that other people feel this way sometimes too. When you're professionally around games all the time, I think sometimes you forget just how amazing it is to be able to go to multiple conventions a year or get a bunch of games for review, even if not all of them are great or it's not the you know, most exciting AAA titles. Video gaming isn't exactly the world's least expensive hobby. So being able to see so many different styles of games because of the opportunity to be around them professionally is really pretty wonderful. But at the same time, being exposed to anything consistently sort of desensitizes you from the magical wonder whatever of that thing. So I sometimes have to remind myself, like, hey, take a, take a step back. You are around something that you love, and you're doing something you love. It's nearly impossible to know all the different titles that'll show up. And something about the surprise of falling in love with a game you never expected makes the whole show feel more invigorating. It's not unusual to see a crowd gathered around a fun multiplayer title, cheering when a team wins or loses. It's also not unusual to see players silent, headphones on, completely immersed in a thriller or visual novel. Multiply those feelings by the thousands of people at the convention center, and the energy becomes nearly tangible. PAX West's greatest asset is its variety of games. My favorite part of E3 usually turns out to be the Indiecade section, a small portion of the show floor dedicated to curated indie projects. 
These games, often made by singular developers or small teams, are the ones that reach out into the fringe and take risks. When you're checking out those games, you're generally talking to the people who directly made the game, which can add new insights to the demo. PAX West felt like a show with IndieCades spread all over, including the Indie Megabooth, with titles both large and small staffed by people who truly know the games and their backgrounds. I met lead animators, creative directors, lead writers, and I didn't just meet those people because I was press. They were actually working their booths. This is probably a good time to talk about the Indie Mega Booth, the curated indie section at PAX. It actually featured 83 different games which were packed into this section of the Seattle Convention Center on the fourth floor, and it was a really fantastic display to see. Uh, the sheer variety of what was available to witness and to play, and again, the number of developers who were there that were just really enthusiastic about their products was really energizing to me. The space featured the mega booth itself and the number of games that showed independently, as well as a mini booth space for people who couldn't afford to take up as much space on the show floor financially. So they packed a ton of different games into really small displays and then rotated those between a Friday-Saturday spot and a Sunday-Monday spot. They also even included a tabletop section where people were also able to display their games for two days. So altogether, there were 82 different developers and 83 different games. Real big shout out to Indie Mega Booth. It was, again, one of my favorite parts of PAX West. I feel like I really could have just never left the Indie Mega Booth and still had a complete show experience. For all that I saw and appreciated about PAX, I know I missed out on tons more. The convention holds an entire series of game tournaments, free play arenas, and panel talks that I only heard rumor about in between press appointments. And even aside from those curated events, it was great to see people simply hanging out together, playing their 3DSs or mobile games, laughing and sharing stories. Attendees met new people while waiting in lines for demos or panels, some of which I imagine will become long-lasting friendships. As much as the massive crowds drained me, in ways they gave me strength too. I saw people of all kinds, varying races, genders, orientations, religions, abilities, and more, many cosplaying characters that took tons of time and energy to compose. It reminded me of the importance of the world of gaming, and the importance of the community we all create around it. Alright, on to this week's Intelligame. Some people are going to think that I'm bandwagoning a bit with this choice, but when I think about games that have been able to build a sense of community, it's really hard to not acknowledge this game's influence on the recent debate and culture. This week's Intelligame is Pokemon Go, which you've been essentially living under a rock the entire time of if you haven't heard of it. It's an augmented reality game where you walk around in the real world catching virtual Pokemon. You can train those Pokemon up, battle them at gyms, and obviously compare them with your friends, though currently you're not able to trade them with friends or battle directly with friends. Even though the game is somewhat feature limited right now, it's really hard to deny the effect that it's had on the gaming community at large. When I first started playing Pokemon Go, I was really conflicted about playing the game at all. It came out 24 hours 
I don't think not even 24 hours after Philando Castile was shot and killed in his car. And as a black man in particular, I really felt conflicted about feeling any joy at all about a cell phone game when there is this much more pressing issue on my mind. You can read more about it if you go back and read my piece called I've Only Caught One Pokemon and Not Just Due to Server Issues. I'll link to it in the show notes. In the days and weeks that came after I started playing Pokemon Go, though, I was amazed by the number of people that I was able to meet right here in my own neighborhood from my same age group, hanging out at the park, sharing stories, food, ideas with strangers. When you're almost 30, it's a little difficult to go out and just meet new friends. It's just kind of awkward to hang out at a bar or take a dance class, I guess. Maybe I just feel that way for me, and maybe that's part of the reason I play video games. But the cool part about Pokemon Go is that it gave me a way to play video games with new people in new places. Those new places eventually became old places. I have a park not far from my house that I would go to pretty consistently because it has a bunch of Pokestops, and there would be other people who would show up pretty consistently and do the same thing. I've stopped playing Pokemon Go in the past few weeks. Part of it is because I just didn't have enough space on my cell phone to hold it and my other games. The other part of it was that it is a little feature poor in my opinion and there are other games I wanted to play. That said, I'm still really impressed by the number of people that I still see playing Pokemon Go with their friends, with their significant others, on the bus, in the arcade, at the library, wherever it is I happen to be. Of course, PAX West was a hotbed of Pokemon Go activity, and it's for good reason. Whether you're from the Seattle area or not, Pokemon Go gives everybody an excuse to walk around, find new restaurants, catch Pokemon, and also gives them a common point of dialogue and discourse amongst people who they may not know how to talk to otherwise. Given, I don't think everything about Pokemon Go is rosy and fantastic. A number of essays, including my own, circulated the internet after Pokemon Go came out, describing the different ways that racial profiling can exist from people just walking around in various neighborhoods or areas while playing Pokemon Go. I do think that those essays still have valid points and exist as a really interesting point of discussion as we venture further into augmented reality's effect on gaming and the ways that it's going to encourage us to explore new neighborhoods. Alongside those new explorative tendencies come exploitative tendencies. There were a number of really unfortunate incidents that happened when Pokemon Go first came out, including people being jumped or mugged because they were walking into the wrong place at the wrong time, people randomly ambling into traffic because they weren't paying attention to the world around them, people who got into car accidents because they decided that Pokemon Go was an intelligent thing to do while they were driving, as if texting isn't challenging enough. And that's, by the way, a note, don't text and drive for real. Why Why would you do that? Anyway, all of these stories are real and valid points that we need to think about as the gaming technology we use evolves. I think many of these negative event-based stories, though, the muggings, the walking into traffic, 
there are situations that take place relatively infrequently. And there are situations that we just heard about because it was really popular to talk about Pokemon Go and everybody wanted to cash in on that energy. What will continue to exist as a point of power and positivity for Pokemon Go is the way that it gives people an opportunity to come together and play a game that's relatively playful, not particularly violent, and easily approachable. Last time I was back home, my mother downloaded Pokemon Go. And even though she had some trouble figuring out the interface at first, I think she really enjoyed just having that opportunity to be able to talk about it with me. I don't know if she's still playing it right now, I haven't asked about it, but being able to have conversations about Pokemon and watching her try to catch Pokemon that she didn't really recognize was a really cool experience for us both. So if you haven't done it already, download Pokemon Go for your cell phone, strap on some walking shoes, and get out there and have some cool conversations with old friends or new ones. Intelligaming is about any kind of play that helps you think more deeply about the world around you. What better way is there to spur thoughts about the world around you than being out in it? Well, folks, that does it for the second episode of the Intelligame Podcast. Thanks again to my special guest, Dylan Higgins, and thanks to you for taking yet another trip on the good ship IGPC. I'm your host, Josh Boykin, and you can find me on Twitter at Wallstormer. Don't forget to stay up to date on Intelligame on social media by searching Let's Intelligame on either Facebook or Twitter. If you have feedback on the show, you can send it to podcast at intelligame.us, or you can tweet with the hashtag IGPC. And, of course, keep checking Intelligame.us for more editorials and posts. Next week's episode takes place at XOXO2016, which, contrary to the beliefs of Netflix, is not a giant EDM festival. Based out of Portland, Oregon, the festival celebrates independent artists and the works they create using the internet, much of which is gaming-focused. I'm looking forward to sharing those stories with you. So until next time, don't just game, Intelligame.